And one of the ways that we can do that is through a drip campaign. Now, many of us, you know, have various drip campaigns, but I want to highlight some things that we may not commonly think of around this subject. So basically, sometimes you'll go through all the steps that I just outlined, even apply positive control, and a person will still fall radio silent, which means they they don't return your emails, they're not returning your voicemails. You cannot seem to get back in communication with them. So let's play this one out. Where the advisor left off was they said to you, I'll get back to you on Monday. You call on Tuesday, no response. You send an email, no response. You wait a day or two, give another try. It dawns on you. This person's gone radio silent. Let me give you a quick, and this does fall under drip campaigns, a simple email that we would send to reestablish communication. And this email lives inside of the various communications that we keep as our drip campaign. So the subject line of the email reads simply, are you okay with the question mark and nothing else? The body of the email reads, since I haven't heard from you, I'm concerned about you and your family. Are you okay? Thanks, Serrano. So what happens when the individual receives the communication? Well, I will tell you that we've been experiencing something like a 90% response rate, usually within an hour, maybe a day. But why does it work? Why does this provoke people to respond? Because when you think about it, what's going on? How many people do you think really enjoy breaking their word to you, even if they have a good reason for it? Typically, not many people, right? How many people do you think feel that it is a boost in their own self-esteem that they basically lied to you. I don't think many people feel good about that. I think they tend to feel guilty. And that when people feel guilty, they tend to withdraw. That when people feel guilty about something, they tend to withdraw from whatever reminds them of that guilt. You're continuing to try and communicate about the letter of understanding, you're continuing to hammer at them is only going to make the guilt worse. The reality is, is that the person is now out of communication. So wherever you are in the process is actually now off the table because the only thing you want to sell them on is communicating with you. All right. Again, let's not get ahead of ourselves. If we fall in back to this level, we need to address this level. Now, Let's say you send the email where the subject line is, are you okay? And the body reads, since I haven't heard from you, I'm concerned about you and your family. Are you okay? Thanks, Serrano. And there's still no communication. Now, usually this will be because a person is busy or because something is going on in their life that they haven't communicated. Nevertheless, if we could not provoke them to communicate with that email, here's the next email. The subject line reads, what did I do wrong? The body of the email reads, since I didn't get a response to my last email, I assume you're okay. Is there something I've done wrong? Thanks, Serrano. Remember, your goal is to provoke them back into communication. Once they're back in communication, you can resolve their issues and you can sell them. But you can't sell them if you can't talk to them. So in this example, what we're doing is we're taking full responsibility for their lack of communication as a way of relieving them of guilt. 
we're assuming that we did something wrong. Now, of course, we all know that in most cases, you didn't do anything wrong. And that, in fact, when people email you back, what they'll typically say is, you know, no, it's not me. No, it wasn't you. You know, my daughter's been going through bone marrow transplant, and uh, it's been a difficult time. Or, geez, you know, I lost a large client, and I've been meaning to get back to you, but quite frankly, it's been a bit of a downer. There's always a story. There's always a story. The question is, can you provoke them to communicate the story? Now, these two emails are not remotely the end of the drip campaign process. Your goal is to provoke them back into communication. Once back in communication, you can resolve their issues. But you can't resolve their issues unless you provoke them to communicate. Now, these two emails are only a small example of the kind of already predetermined process that you want to have set to go so that when you are in your recruiting mode, you know exactly what to do, you don't stall, and you know how to move and the way in which you want to move things to the next level. What we want to do is make the process as predictable as possible so that we can apply ourselves as consistently as possible. So the communication sequence I've described so far adds a lot more opportunity for successful recruiting. I've been leading this program now for quite a period of time and have had some astounding successes. In the case of various managers, it's ended up causing for them their single greatest year recruiting. To recap, what if you found yourself getting through more gatekeepers and feeling more prepared for the phone dialogue? And what if you had slightly more responsiveness from advisors based on having an organized script? And what if you were able to artfully ask the person to reconsider their objection or resistance, and you were able to make that request four or five times in a single conversation without losing them, disrespecting them, or seeming like you don't care? What if when you met with them face-to-face or even over the phone, you got a clear sense of their decision-making strategy and you presented any decision you wanted them to make in that structure? What if when you told them about yourself, your firm, and why they should work with you, you told them a personal story that inspired them or moved them? What if your closing was, was, was sharper, more crisp? And you always knew who was going to do what by when before you walked away from that interaction. That you always assigned deadlines and responsibilities clearly. And that in addition to that, you always agreed in advance to what you would do if something went wrong. That you actually exercised positive control. What if you set things up so that if things go wrong, you're already prepared? already had their permission, so they felt the radar screen, you knew exactly what to do. What if you had this drip campaign or you had this process already in place, a standard operating procedure? Let's say you applied this all over a long period of time. If you were to compare the results of that to your past performance, 
I'm willing to bet you would see a significantly higher success ratio. Now, I do want to acknowledge that when we take a look at the full drip campaign subject, that there are things that I would ask you to consider. Like, for example, everyone tends to drip on the advisor. How many people think to drip on their secondary support system? Specifically, what I'm saying here is, you know, how many people, when it's Administrator's Week or Secretary's Day, actually think to send something to the assistance of the advisors that they're most trying to recruit? Did you do that the last time around? How many people look to place in the drip campaign ways that they might appropriately touch the person's family? What if you sent them something for their wife or for their children because you actually took a look at the person's LinkedIn and knew a bit more about them or you knew that the college that they went to, the school they went to, you know, won the national championship. How much more customized could your drip campaign be if you had that sort of data and you actually aimed it not just at the advisor, but even at their secondary support systems? How many managers do you think are doing that? You need to remember, you are not competing against a perfect competitor. You are competing against people who are also busy, who are also overwhelmed, who may not be prepared, who may not be trained, and you need only perform better than them to dominate them in your marketplace. This is all part of the process. One of the best metaphors for recruiting is that recruiting is like football. Your success in the game is measured not just in touchdowns, but those touchdowns accrue because of yardage, and that yardage can be broken down to inches. You want to make sure that at every step you are moving that ball down the field, whether it's an inch or whether it's a touchdown. The drip campaign is part of how you move the ball along, and it should be informed by the data you gather about the individual. I want you to keep in mind that Typically, the people you're looking to recruit are in a limited geography. Because of that, you're not really selling as much as you are campaigning. That what you do is like a political campaign. You're always looking to be ahead in the polls, to be the top choice with the top people who may want to pull the trigger and move. You're always top of mind. I've had coaching clients who are managers, hire summer interns, who put together a thick marketing binder or electronic folder on the top recruiting prospects in their space. This intel can include any range of data that they collect from social media and other sources. The bottom line is that I will never forget one of the guys who I coached who actually sent as a thank you to me flowers to my wife. I mean, I had to get out of jail free card for like a week behind that guy. How many people who, you know, might legitimately have a reason to want to thank me or acknowledge me, how many of them do you think would actually think to send something to my wife? Well, I can tell you one guy, the one guy that I will never forget. 